3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press This WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl, and I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. Just a reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes or iHeartRadio, and as always, you can download episodes at webmasterradio.fm. Look for Press This in the podcast menu. In this episode, we're going to be exploring measuring web performance, and we have a very special guest to do that. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Pat Mean. And Pat, welcome.
4: Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, everyone.
3: Awesome. And for those of you who don't know who Pat is, your official title, Pat, right now, is senior staff software engineer at Google. But that's not really what makes you special, I think, in in the sense of uh, the content context of measuring web performance. Um, you have another backstory there around that topic. Uh, you want to share what that is?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, so I created and largely run WebPageTest and WebPageTest.org. Um, oh God, I've probably been doing web performance measurement uh, since the dial-up days uh, back when I was at AOL. So been That's doing it for a while.
3: Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I think uh, people listening to the show, certainly myself and others, I know when I was circling around that I was going to be doing this interview today here internally. Ah, uh, people got really excited about that. I think you know a lot of people use webpagetest.org and the framework um, quite a bit, and so uh, it's a, it's a super popular tool. And really happy to have you here today.
4: Oh, thanks for having me. It's awesome to talk to you about it.
3: Awesome. Now, um, you mentioned that your history with tests kind of went back to the dial-up days um, while you were at AOL. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about, like, the genesis of WebPageTest. Like, why, why did you guys do that? Like, how did it start? Uh, what's the backstory there?
4: Sure. I mean, it really evolved kind of organically. Um, Way back, I had some infrastructure that I was running um, that would test our dial-up infrastructure. So it would basically dial up the AOL phone numbers, launch the AOL client, uh, run through some tests, and do performance testing for the client. Um, And then as we started to migrate to the web, we wanted to move out of doing... uh, testing of the the client itself and testing of the web content uh, that we were serving through the client. And I, I also worked on sort of the, the networking stack inside of the AOL client, so it, it helped me uh, work on the performance of the stuff that was tunneling through it. And as we transformed into more of a web company, um, this was back when uh, Steve Souters launched YSlow and sort of those old days in Firefox. We started to run into a problem where we would see slow pages in our testing, uh, for example, or in our user data. And we'd go to the developers, and they'd be like, no, look, it loads really quick for me. And, you know, know, everyone still does that today. But, um, you know, all of the developers were using Firefox at the time. uh, Embedded in the AOL client was IE probably five. Maybe maybe six, um, and the data center was like literally across the street from the offices. Uh, so we had probably hundred megabit at the time connections with almost no latency directly to the data center where all of our servers are running. So it's like no kidding, it loads fast for you. Our users on on dial up don't have the same benefits. Um, so we sort of evolved it into first we stood up. What a lot of companies were sort of playing with at the time, which was a a proxy uh, that developers could use and configure their dev station to proxy through my proxy, which then did traffic shaping and let them see what a slower connection looked like. But we still didn't get much uptake on that, and it's because they needed to do the configuration and testing locally and clear their caches and everything else. So we took the the automation framework that I had running the dial-up testing and basically morphed it to automate the browser and collect the browser performance data and uh, start reporting that. And that was sort of the genesis back in probably 2007. Um, And I was lucky enough that AOL let me open source it in 2008. And that was uh, sort of the genesis of when WebPageTest first came out. And, uh, I mean, it was huge being able to... Send a test result to devs and say, "Hey, this is what it loads like, um, and this is what the waterfall looks like. Can you please fix these images?" And the other sort of thing that we were battling is, at the time, we were a a customer of a large monitoring company um, that was doing backbone monitoring of the performance of our sites. So it was testing from data centers on data center connections, much like our developers were, Uh, and the CDN we were using, um, I don't know that I'd call it gaming, but they optimized for the monitoring company, shall we say. Yes. They they co-located the edge nodes of the CDN in the same racks that the monitoring company (laughs) was doing testing from. So we had gigabit connections from the monitoring to the testing, and we'd have problems where dev teams would roll out huge images or thousands of requests, and the monitoring would show no degradation in performance, uh, which is you know, far from the truth. So uh, probably being able to roll out both the run a test and share it and doing it with traffic shaped end user connections were absolutely critical uh, to our dev cycle and basically what made WebPageTest what it is.
3: That's a really interesting perspective thinking about it. You know, and I've heard this story that you came up with WebPageTest during the dial up days. Uh, I guess what I didn't realize was that you had morphed it from essentially a dial up speed testing um, tool into. Uh, what it is today. Um, that, that's an interesting perspective. And I, I also like to hear about the, the developers testing close to the servers and the uh, performance company also, or, or utility or whatever that was, um, being close to those as well. Um, you know, wh- Where you are is super important. And I do want to kind of unpack that later as we talk about some of the strategies behind uh, measuring web performance. Um, but so now that we have kind of a, a, a decent view, I think, of, of kind of the genesis story of web page tests, you know, um, you joined Google at some point, And uh, could you share a little bit about what you do there today?
4: Sure. I mean, back in 2000 or so, um, Google was working on an effort to make the web faster, uh, basically make not necessarily Google sites, but all of the web as fast as possible, Um and WebPageTest was an important tool in sort of what they were using to do that. And so they brought me on to help with uh, basically continue working on WebPageTest, uh, try and evangelize to, to users to make their sites as fast as possible. And we were working on, at the time it was PageSpeed service. Mod page speed still lives on today, uh, but WebPageTest sort of provided a a testing framework to let users see, hey, if you accelerated your site uh, in our case with Mod PageSpeed or PageSpeed Service, this is the before and after of what the site would look like. And that was all done sort of through web page tests. So you could have the videos of the before and after. And so as our make the web faster team sort of folded and distributed across all of Google. Uh, I was lucky enough to jump onto the Chrome team. Uh, so there, I currently work on the Chrome team, uh, and my time is split between web page test and sort of tooling to help make the web faster and make people understand the web performance and actual Chrome performance. So I get to take what I see in web performance testing and see, hey, why is Chrome doing that? Or Chrome could do this a little bit better and go into Chrome and uh, like change the resource scheduling for loading and uh, fix any issues I see or opportunities I see for making Chrome faster.
3: Well, I got to say, as a Chrome user, Pat, I'm, uh, I'm I'm resting easy knowing you're at the helm of aligning those efforts. Um, obviously, page speed is, is super important to me, and super important to WP Engine, the company I work for. Um, so can can certainly uh, empathize with with the desire to make the web faster. Um, so it sounds like you're doing some really cool stuff. Um, so I guess let's get kind of get in now to some of the more strategic pieces. And although uh, a softball, I think you can quickly answer. You now I hear this question a lot. when people talk about their page speed in terms of time, you know my my site loads in two point three seconds or whatever, which load time KPI do you find most valuable or practical to reference? Is it the the start render time? Is it visually complete complete? Is it something else?
4: <laughs> and you thought that would be easy to answer. So just to <laughs> unpack that a little, and first, I usually challenge them with your 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 page speed doesn't load or your page doesn't load in a specific amount of time it would be like for users in this geography on this kind of connection um it loads in about this kind of time and so just open their minds to that it's a wide distribution, and then we can sort of have the discussion of, okay, in a test environment, testing from this region on this connection, which is representative of what our users are seeing. The KPIs I usually, so I still like speed index um, as my, if you're going to use a number, uh, speed index, which sort of takes the average time for pixels displaying on the screen, works well for a get as much content to the screen as possible. It's still not like sort of the holy grail and covers everything, but it's also kind of hard to explain to people. Um, So what I find works really well uh, in the explanation is start render. Uh, Your page is completely blank for 10 seconds, uh, gets the point across pretty well. Um, If you can uh, attach a video to that as well, For something a little more comprehensive, I start to look at some of the interactive metrics um, just to make sure we don't lose sight of the, the CPU and the main thread. Because over the last few years, as we focused on making rendering faster and getting pages delivered faster, we've sort of pushed JavaScript out. Uh, to the point where now we get a lot of pages where it'll load visually fast, but when people try and interact or click or scroll or do something with the page, they can't. It just doesn't respond. If
3: you see it and can't do something with it, that's (laughs) no good. Um, I do want to unpack this a little more. We're going to take a quick break, though, and we'll be right back. So everybody hang tight, and we'll
2: be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned
0: for more Press This in just a moment. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the 2018 International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit www.webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. Deadline for entries is May 31st, 2018 go to www.webaward.org and sign up today
2: are you looking for the best in wordpress speed security and scalability WP Engine is a digital experience platform for wordpress powering digital experiences for large brands around the world With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com.
0: Blog, blog, blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere.
2: Let's press forward with more Press This only on Webmasterradio.fm.
3: Well, everyone, welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpol, and I'm interviewing Pat Meenan of webpagetest.org and Google um, discussing monitoring or should I say measuring web performance. And Pat, right before the break, um, you were talking about your thoughts around um, how people may define what my page speed time means, um, and I, I kind of cut you off there for the break, but was hoping you could kind of explain a little more there.
4: Sure. And so we started talking about the the interactive metrics and and making sure that the the page is both visible and responsive to the user. Uh, right now we've got a, a time to interact. Well, I guess there's time to first interactive, or I think as Lighthouse is starting to call it, time to CPU idle, which is like the first chance the user could have to interact with this page. And then there's a time to consistently interactive, which is, you know, at this point, the page always responds quickly. Um, Those aren't like sort of holy grails either. They work well for the the CPU and interactivity. Um, I usually like to fold those combined with speed index to get an overall picture on how quickly both the visual and CPU aspects of the page load
3: so would you think that the style of page that you're creating might also influence the KPI you focus on um, if, if, if you if the page is focused on reading is, is rendering uh, maybe maybe more important than interaction possibly
4: um, scrolling as long as you don't have like blocking scroll handlers and you can scroll off of the main thread, then the the CPU matters less, somewhat less, when you're reading an article page, for example. And then I would totally focus on uh, or drive more focus towards the visual metrics. Um, that said, if you want them to be able to click off of that page, like drill deeper into an article or uh, like if it's a product landing page and you want them to go in and look at the individual products, um you still want to pay a lot of attention to the the sort of click responsiveness
3: i think I think most web pages people want you to click on things i think I think that's a safe bet,
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, sort of the other thing to watch out for is uh, and so there are two versions of speed index, one that. Uh, is sensitive to content moving and one that's not. So, the one that WebPageTest reports by default uh, gives you credit for getting the content to the screen, whether or not it shifts a little. Uh, there's a version of Speed Index reported by Lighthouse, uh, which is Perceptual Speed Index, which will ding you. It'll basically give you no credit for content if that content later moves. And so, talking about wanting people to click on things one of the the things to watch out for is sort of the ad banner loading above the content or right above the thing that you were going to click on and just as you go to click the ad loads so you end up clicking on the ad instead of the link you meant to click on
3: yeah, I could see where a webmaster would like that, but it might not be the best uh, user experience. Uh, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, okay, so then you, you, a lot of your testing is focused around, well, how can I make Chrome better? How can I make the web better? I'm guessing every now and then you're you're trying to make a web page better on some level. Um, uh, what specifically that that you might be working on or helping with or whatever? What is your approach in that in that in that Mode. You know, a lot of people listening to the show are freelancers and agencies and working in in-house teams, and, and they're trying to think of their approach for performance measurement. Um, so maybe you could share a little bit about what your approach is when you're in that mode.
4: Sure, absolutely. I mean, I spend the vast majority of my time in that mode. Uh, even when I'm looking to make Chrome faster, I usually pick uh, some large representative sites or even some tail sites just start loading them and look to see, hey, what could I do to make this site faster? And is any of that something that I should be doing in Chrome? Um, But usually my default is to first pick a representative test condition. Um, Something usually towards the tail end of traffic, maybe the 70th, 80th percentile of the user base uh, and decide if it's going to be mobile or desktop. And for the most part, these days, that ends up being mobile with uh, either a four G or a three G connection, depending on sort of what market I'm testing for. Um, and then I'll run. I usually end up doing nine runs just to make sure I don't get an outlier for the page. And I jump straight to the film strip view. And for me, the film strip view is the most probably the most powerful view in the web page test results, uh, where you have the waterfall right below the images of, of the video page loading. And you can sort of scroll and see, okay, this is when the page started render. What was all the content that was loaded before this happened? How much of that... So is it bandwidth-constrained? Is there sort of a long chain of document.writes or something that was pushing it out? Um, is all of that content necessary to render the the above-the-fold content should something be deferred? um, Was there something that wasn't uh, fetched early enough that where like a preload might help? Uh, That ends up coming up a lot with fonts, for example, where fonts aren't discovered until the layout is done and the CSS is applied, especially when you're using a third-party font like Typekit or Google Fonts where you load the google fonts css from one domain and then the fonts themselves end up coming from another domain you end up with a chain where the main document loads then the css loads but it also had to do the dns lookup socket connect and everything else for the css and then when the styles are applied it goes to load the fonts and it has to do the dns socket connect for those and you can sort of shortchange at least part of that by going and putting a pre-connect for the fonts domain into the main document, sort of give it a head start and go, you know, I may not know the exact font file you're going to pick for this device, but I know you're going to load something from fonts.google.com, so please do do a pre-connect to that.
3: You, you know, I have to agree, or at least uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, that that's your favorite feature because it's also mine, leveraging the film strip to kind of eyeball what's going on in a moment in time and then use that to inform the actions that you take. Um, you know, a lot of the times when I think about defining my page speed, I often will relate it to what I'm seeing in the film strip. I'm just curious if, if you've ever taken that approach.
4: Yeah, I know. I mean, that's largely what I'll do. And when I'm talking to someone, if if... The best metrics for a site are really something specific to that site. And so like if I'm used looking at a news site, I may not pick start render. I may actually look and go, okay, this is at the point where your main article image and text rendered. And that's the, the point in time that they're going to care about. And that's the point I'll focus on as far as the, the performance.
3: Because there's a there's a lag there. I was looking at a strip yesterday and start render it hit and there was an image on the screen in the film strip and then um, you know a couple tenths of a second later then the, the the rest of the content had loaded and it was I felt at an acceptable point for the user. So I was like, that's my time, right? That's the time when you know I feel like the customers have enough information in order to act or read or enjoy the page. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. For me, it's it's really helpful just to see it there live and to be able to scroll that film strip back and forth and see how it applies the waterfall graph. Um, I find that super helpful.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also good even visually just looking, going, "Hey, why did that load that image load before this?" For example, or looking at, I mean, one of the things that I see way too frequently is I'll be sort of scrolling and I'll, I'll see, okay, hey, the main image started to display, um, but it's loading five other huge images all at the same time. And it's because you have like a carousel and the browser doesn't necessarily know what the main image is of the carousel versus the hidden images and it's loading them all.
3: Okay. Very interesting. So, you and I hung out in California a few weeks ago, and uh, aside from me nerding out and asking for a picture of you in the middle of a meeting, uh, with you in the middle of a meeting, um, one of the things we talked about was this experience I'd had at home. I had two fiber providers and was kind of battling them out and trying all kinds of different locations for my speed tests and things like that. And you know, thinking about this interview today, that also got me thinking about kind of trying to understand like what your philosophy or how you think about things like lab versus rum testing. Like, am I in a data center? Am I, am I looking at user um, kind of uh, user centric data or or kind of user uh, location data? Like how do you, how do you view lab versus rum?
4: Sure. I mean, first off, total jealousy about even having two fiber, providers I don't have that
3: experience so it took three months with all my like over obsessing on this testing
4: right. right but um so I usually look at it so you know several years ago I was like oh god we're not going to be doing synthetic testing or lab testing anymore because we're exposing so many metrics to a real user you're not going to need the lab anymore um and so you know the more I look at both they're, they're both going to have a a place, mostly just because the real user data varies quite wildly. Um, and this goes back sort of to the beginning of time. You have day-night cycles where people are at work on fast connections, people are at home on slower connections, or maybe sometimes the other way around. Uh, the one fun one I, I still remember to this day is we had cycles where, uh, at AOL, where students would come home for the summers and so performance would tank at the beginning of summer because the universities all had really fast connections and now that they're doing all their browsing from home all of a sudden everything's a lot slower um, and you have day night cycles based on server server load and things like that whereas the synthetic testing you can have a controlled environment and at least you know the variability comes from things that you're serving and not sort of the end user uh, environment that said, what I usually like to do is have both and I look at the RUM data, the real user monitoring data, um, to inform what a representative user profile looks like. So I'll look at like the socket connect time for the base page to figure out roughly what the distribution is of round trip times and don't look at averages ever um a histogram for all of the metrics in your rum data is going to be more valuable in, than anything and so Hey, uh, used...
3: patrick yep, um we're going to take a quick break but i have a ton of questions <laughs> on this one um so everybody hang tight and we'll be uh, right back
2: time to plug
0: into a commercial break stay tuned for more press this in just a moment AM Days 2018 comes to Las Vegas May 16th and 17th. Register now at AMDays.com. Make the most of your performance marketing with help from some of the most iconic brands, including Microsoft, Capital One, Uber, Backcountry, and many more. AM Days 2018 brings together a powerhouse of industry leaders and deal makers to network and share insights on the latest practices and cutting-edge updates in performance marketing and more. Make plans to be in Las Vegas for our landmark 10th event, AM Days 2018, Las Vegas, May 16th and 17th. Webmaster Radio listeners can save 20% on two-day and combo passes using promo code WMR20. Register now at amdays.com. Hello, I'm Hector Elizondo, and I want to talk to you about getting older. My body hurts, my joints ache, and sometimes I forget. I forget that doing all your own scenes for a movie isn't always the best decision, especially when you're galloping high speed on a horse named Archibello. So yes, my body hurts, but it's not because of my age. It's because I'm living my life. Don't let life pass you by. Take care of your brain health. It may just help you stay on top of your game. (laughs) Oh, Archibello! Learn more at brainhealth.gov. Welcome to the Webmaster Institute for Financial Advancement, WebmasterRadio.fm. It's like radio with a PhD. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Let's press
2: forward with more. Press this only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Hello,
3: everyone. Welcome back to the Press This WordPress Community Podcast on Webmaster Radio. For the break, we were talking with Pat Meenan about lab testing versus RUM testing. And Pat, you were just going into, I believe, like a, a notion of user profiling in a sense around their speed profile. Um, could you expand on that one?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was saying I like to look at the RUM data to inform. Uh, what a good connection or environment profile looks like uh, for doing the synthetic testing, and usually the first place I look is at the the socket the distribution of socket connect times for the base page, uh, which is usually a good proxy for the the round trip time uh, on the user's connection and the latency of the user's connection, and then I'll look at the distribution of that and pick something in the 80th percentile range, um, and then I'll go. And I'll usually look at something like the DOM content loaded and page load time in the, in the real user data, which aren't great metrics for user experience, but they're you know, solid technical metrics. And then I'll take the latency data and experiment with a bunch of different bandwidths in web page test and see which bandwidth uh, from the regions that I need to test from gives me DOM content loaded and page load times roughly in line with what I'm seeing in my real user data at the 80th percentile, give or take. And then I'll take that bandwidth data and that latency data and go, okay, this is representative of my 80th percentile user. This is what I'm going to use for my synthetic testing.
3: So it's not a question of lab versus RUM for you, but rather a, a question of using RUM to inform your lab simulator, essentially.
4: Yeah, and I mean, that's largely because with how much RUM varies, uh, trying to go through cycles of improved performance, what did that do to my real user data, knowing if the change you made is actually what caused a change or it was something environmental is very difficult. Whereas in the lab, you can go, okay, I've roughly modeled what my user experience is. On a really quick dev cycle, I can do the performance testing and see the impact of each change I make to the site. Okay, I saw an improvement. Hopefully, that will also translate to the real user. Um, usually, it does, uh, but you can at least gauge the size of the improvement, whereas when you're looking at your real user data, you tend to have to squint a lot uh, to try and make sense of the the variations and the results.
3: That's actually a really valuable um, kind of thought and approach there. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, if you're in a sense simulating or matching the simulation of the, the load time or the you know connectivity for the 80th percentile, um, how do you think about emulating their um, their processing power? Right, it's more than just their connection; it's also their device. Um, so, how how do you then apply this kind of approach to um, thinking about their processing power?
4: Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, for mobile, I'll usually also try picking a device that is representative more of the mid-range tail, not sort of the high-end, of line iPhones or this-generation uh, Android devices. Um, for the most part, there are just sort of bands of CPU performance in mobile devices, um, We tend to like to use the Moto G4s um, as representative for mid-range devices. But it's important to note that when you're testing on your desktop, that is way faster than a mobile device. Or even if you have like an iPhone, tends to be way faster than sort of a a mid-range Android device. Nothing beats real device testing. Um, That said, standing up a lab with real devices can be a bit of a maintenance effort. Uh, web page <laughs> That tests, sounds like an
3: understatement.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've tried to make it as easy as possible, and um, like with Android devices, actually with Android or iOS these days, uh, you can like pair one with a Raspberry Pi, and all of a sudden you have a unit that is capable of doing performance testing, and they'll usually run without any need for maintenance for m- months at a time you get issues where like batteries swell and every year you need to either replace the phones or the batteries or end up with a galaxy note seven problem
3: yes, um uh, have your, <laughs> uh, your your environment blow up so is it worth all that work i mean uh if, if you can it, simulate it um why bother with with the real, real world stuff
4: yeah, so I think you can get really close. So like web page test will do CPU throttling on desktop browsers and running mobile emulation. Um, and so it can get really close to how the mobile devices perform, but I think you still need to sanity check on real devices just because the mix of GPUs and CPUs IO the um, the SS well the flash on the phones and the performance versus what you've got in your dev environment, or even in your, if you're using web page test agents in the cloud, uh, sort of the IO performance on those. There are enough differences that maybe something that you're doing on the desktop world is not an issue because it's pushed off to the GPU on real devices or the other way around. Maybe it's like crazy slow. We were looking at something the other day where a really simple SVG was taking a second and a half to render on mobile devices, and it's not something we've seen uh, on the desktop testing, for example, even with CPU throttling.
3: So thinking then about kind of the optimization project. I'm going to go make my site faster. As no a matter of fact, earlier in this interview, you said uh, one of the examples you gave was you have all these huge images, you need to go remove them. And it, it feels like page performance optimization takes two flavors. Flavor one is you're not doing the right things, so do the right things. And flavor two is your users have really slow connections, so whittle out on your page to make it as small as possible to make it easier for them to download the page, load the page. Um, so like, should site owners just be pushing that content closer to those customers instead of yielding on, on, on that page load? Like, wh- where is that break, um, I guess? How, how should people be thinking about getting that content closer rather than, oh, I'm just going to chop off all my images and have an imageless
0: page?
4: Yeah, I mean, so content closer, um, I mean, if you've got users in more than one local region, use a CDN. Uh, problem solved. Uh, and they're cheap enough these days, uh, even some are free, um, that you should just always use an EdgeServe CDN if you're serving anything outside of a small region. Um, that said, progressive enhancement is still a thing. Um, and it makes just as much sense for performance as it does for uh, actual functionality. Um, I think uh, Tim Kadlec, Cadillac- or someone else probably coined it, but he was certainly one of the ones pushing it a lot, is cut the mustard. Um, whereas, hey, maybe if we're 10 seconds into loading the page and we still haven't loaded like three article images, uh, we shouldn't load the other large article images we're planning on loading or uh, with the the viewport sizing and stuff. But as long as you're optimizing your images for the viewport you're delivering them for, Um, you should be fine. Uh, It's more the case, maybe you want to look at lazy loading below the fold images, but be careful not to to wait. One of the problems we tend to see uh, from time to time is uh, with lazy loaders, they'll not load the images below the fold until the user starts scrolling to see the images, and then you're in a race. Um, But maybe just... (sighs) I guess the best way to think of it is choreograph the loading experience. If it, How would you want this page to load for users regardless of their connection speed? What's the most important thing to get in front of them? Make sure that loads first. And then what else is sort of candy or needs to come after that? And just make sure your sequence is such that you're delivering <laughs> the critical content first and then... Feeding in the rest of the content, and you'll sort of get the progressive enhancement for slower connections, but for free, because you know the sl- the rest of the stuff just won't have loaded yet.
3: So the observation is certainly push it closer to the customer using a CDN or, or just local servers, and then um, but to to focus your optimizations on that loading experience, so you don't have to compromise on the experience you're delivering, but rather load it in a way that is friendly for the way the user might engage with it.
4: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's critical that you sort of work with your design teams instead of getting static mocks of what the end state is of the page loaded as, the, you know, this giant PDF that's printed out. Um, talk about what, what the stages of that content loading are, right? And make sure that the designers are involved in the entire experience and that they know it's more of a movie than a photograph that you're building,
3: that is a really interesting way of thinking about that. Uh, I'm going to have to go press on our designers later and, and talk to them about perhaps using that approach. I've, I've never actually heard that in, in the sense of the design process. I'm sure others have. Uh, I just haven't. Um, Cool. So you've mentioned uh, Lighthouse uh, quite a bit on this call. And you know Lighthouse is a, re- a web performance tool uh, produced by Google. Um, so maybe you could talk to me a little bit about what your thoughts are on using Lighthouse. Like, What is it really good at? What are your favorite parts of it? Um, maybe you could share some of that.
4: Sure. I mean, I look at Lighthouse as kind of the evolution of page speed and slow. It's the Uh, current best solution I have seen for recommendations. It'll load your site, analyze it, and try and tell you what opportunities you have for improvement. There are... me. There are some performance measurements in there, and there are a bunch of performance metrics that it produces. Uh, but sort of the 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 gold in there is the scores, right? It's, I scored 96 on the lighthouse performance. How can I make that 100 kind of a thing? The gamification uh, of the performance scores. Um, I mean, as far as the tool, it does a really good job at that. Uh, the performance me- measurements are largely standardized and things that we measure across the industry these days. Uh, it's certainly pushing the cutting edge on uh, like the timed interactive metrics and stuff. And we share a lot of that between WebPageTest and Lighthouse. Uh, otherwise, I mean, Lighthouse is a tool kind of like DevTools. And I look at WebPageTest as a, a hosted version of a way to run those in a lab environment and get consistent results. Right. And so you can run Lighthouse through WebPageTest and get your your Lighthouse results combined with your WebPageTest performance results, for example.
3: That's really helpful for me because uh, oftentimes I, I hear, what should I be using, this or that? And that's an interesting way to think about the distinction between the two. Um, thanks. So I guess my next question, you've, you've been through this a lot. You've seen people, I'm guessing, run millions of these tests in some level. Um What mistakes are people making like what what is the thing that you think they do wrong when when they approach their uh web performance strategy?
4: I'd say by and far the number one problem I see still today is performance testing from data centers on backbones without realistic end user connections and without real uh end user sort of devices and browsers. That works great for monitoring, like if you want to monitor if your servers are still performing well and they're still serving HTML quickly and the static assets are serving quickly, it does not tell you anything about the end user experience. And more often than not, when I'm talking to someone about a web page test result or something that we're seeing in performance testing, they'll be like, but our other monitoring tools aren't telling us that. They say it's loading in two seconds and we have to have the sort of long discussion about what end-user connections look like and why you should be traffic shaping your monitoring testing and things like that.
3: I think that's a really interesting point. I, I, I see that quite a bit as well when I talk to people Um, about how they think about their performance testing and not realizing all the intricacies that go into getting those uh, bits from point a to point b and how carriers affected and internet interconnection agreements affected and and so on and so forth and and like really trying to get as close as possible i you know we talked earlier about my uh, fiber kind of battle that i had and um I wasn't satisfied with even being in the same city as as the servers I thought I would be needing to access. You know, I was really obsessed with, well, what 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 internet connections are there? And who are their tier ones, and how are they peered? and And I really kind of got wrapped around the wheel on that. Um, what are your What's your advice so that people like me don't get wrapped around the wheel on trying to make it absolutely perfect um, to emulate what that end user might be going through?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'd still fall back to the... Make sure you've got good RUM instrumentation in your pages. Uh, Make sure you've... Rather than just sort of taking the default metrics of the onload and everything else, make sure you've got your pages instrumented when the main content that you care about loads. And those are sort of the the things you're measuring in the field. Because the other thing you're going to have to battle a lot is... Well, it's not that slow for me. And when you're talking to developers or executives... You've got the latest cutting-edge devices on the fastest networks, and you know you've got your gigabit fiber home connections, uh, but your users don't. And so, understanding what the distribution looks like, and just sort of getting a good feel for that distribution, and knowing where the pain points are—it's uh, you know the real user data is really critical to being able to do that. And then just pick something, maybe two or three representative profiles and just be comfortable that those are what you picked for your your okrs or or your your goals for that year that you're going to be focused on
3: interesting i think you would have saved me three months of obsessing over the fiber testing if i would had this conversation (laughs) then cool well uh pat thanks for joining the show today we're out of time but wanted to thank you so much for for letting us pick your brain here and uh, i know i personally got a ton of, of good valuable information here so thank you so much
4: yeah no thank you for having me I, you know I could talk about this kind of stuff all day
3: <laughs> alright well uh, maybe we'll have you back I, I certainly enjoy uh, going into it as well so um, if you want to keep up with what Patrick is up to you can follow him on Twitter at Pat Meenan um, thanks everybody for listening to Press This the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio as always you can subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download episodes at webmasterradio.fm again this is your host David Volopol. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This.
0: The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts, and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors.